0: Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. And on this episode, it's time to get that bad news wagon out of Dookie because it's SST-192. The Run Westie Run Hardly Not Even record. We're going to Minneapolis this week and I love it. And we've got a special guest.
1: Yeah, Terry Fisher's on the show.
0: Yeah, awesome to have Terry from the band on the show. Great guy, great interview. He really seems like someone who'd be good to jam with, too. Hey, Brandt? Oh, yeah, man. For sure. I, would t- I totally want to jam with Terry after listening to that interview. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Hey, do you want to hit us with some spiels before we get into it?
1: Sure, I will. Uh, for the past month, Ryan, I've been on this total Iceburn obsession. You know the band oh, Iceburn?
0: The, like from Revelation Records? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Not sure what exactly kicked it off. But possibly the excellent new record that's on Southern Lord. It's like a 36-minute album with two tracks. Now, this band has you know, had quite the history from a musical standpoint. Uh, their albums really run the gamut musically. This one is kind of like heavier, sludgier Melvins variety. Oh, no way. It's their first album in 20 years. The band is led yeah. by guitarist, vocalist, and primary composer Gentry Densley. He's like the sole constant member of the group some great recent interviews with Gentry. Uh, he was on the hundred words or less podcast with Ray Harkins. Ray is a former hardcore kid who definitely knows the history. He's had on some great guests like Kevin seconds, Joe Nelson from trust records and ignite, uh, Mike Williams from, I hate God, Pat Flynn, Ryan from fiddlehead, ah, and tons more. Uh, it's a great interview. Gentry talks about coming up in the salt Lake hardcore scene. Uh, like and the huge straight edge community, like the very yes. militant, oh yeah, straight edge dudes in Salt Lake, oh yeah, talks about the new record. He mentions Salt Lake's bad yodelers with Carl Alvarez as being uh-huh. like a major influence. But the real gold with Gentry is on the amazing Where It Went podcast. So they're the they're the guys that are doing the chronological deep dive into Revelation, which for me is spotty like my own knowledge of that of revelation like I think I probably mentioned this before but you know by the time a lot of that stuff was coming out I was really not into hardcore so much I was really listening to a lot of the garage rock stuff of the era like Estrus and Sympathy and Get Hip and all that stuff but well I was going backwards into first wave punk like Dead Boys and Thunders you know definitely not listening to modern har- hardcore of that era except for maybe some of the bigger stuff like quicksand or whatever. Uh, But this Iceburn stuff that they've gotten into is just amazing. Like, so far on their show, they've covered covered Hephaestus from 93, uh, which is Rev. 27, and then the Iceburn-Engine Kid split from 94, Rev. 34, Mm -hmm. and Poetry of Fire, 1995, Rev. 36. For starters, this stuff totally would have been on SST if it would have come out like 10 years prior. I think. Yeah, potentially. Hephaestus is proggy, jazzy metal. Huge kudos to Revelation for having the sack to put this out <laughs> at that time, which the guys do talk about in the episodes, like putting it in the context of Revelation. Oh, era. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, totally out of left field for the label. Poetry of Fire is f- like full on free jazz metal with some tenor sacks in it. Uh, the big winner for me is the split with Engine Kid. Like, all-instro, over-the-top, Mahavishnu Gin worship, or the Engine Kid side of the LP artwork, even parodies the Birds of Fire mm-hmm. album cover. Uh, for the Hephaestus uh, episode, the guys talked to Gentry, but also Jordan Cooper from Revelation. He's on the podcast quite a bit. Um, great insight into the album, the tours, uh, you know, kind of the band's mindset at the time. Talking about influences, like Slint was a big influence, the Melvins, um For the Engine Kid split episode, they talked to Gentry again and Greg Anderson of Engine Kid, but also of course of Southern Lord.
0: Southern Lord, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, these dudes on where it went are just killing it every episode. I mean, I know you and I are cool with <laughs> you and I always say we jam O'Connell, but like I feel like a total amateur whenever I listen to those guys. Greg Xavier and Jason. Uh, they really get into some cool stuff. Especially right now for me, like Engine Kid, Sense Field, Into Another, Quicksand. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, You are preaching to the choir, my friend.
1: Yeah. Uh, Like, I know there's only so many hours in the day and there's a zillion podcasts out there, but Where It Went is just super high quality. Total labor of love for sure. You can tell.
0: Right. Yeah, right on.
1: Ryan, I wanted to tell you about this book that I just read called Doomed to Fail. Okay. The, the Incredibly Loud History of Doom, Sludge, and post metal by J.J. Anselmi. So it's kind of separated into three sections. Part one kind of focuses on doom and blues, like the early blues that influenced doom, and then, you know, Blue Cheer, Sabbath, Pentagram, Sir Lord, Baltimore, Pagan Altar, all those kinds of bands. But then it goes into, like, there's a nice big chapter on Vitus, Wino, The Obsessed. Uh, they kind of go through, like, you know the history of doom metal with Trouble, Candlemass, Cathedral, up into the like the newer bands in the '90s like Sleep, Acid King, Goat Snake, Electric Wizard, Yob, uh, Flipper, and the Melvins get a nod for kind of helping pioneer the genre. Hmm. And then the second half is like the sludge portion of the book. Nice big chapter on I Hate God. Uh, some stuff on Crowbar. Cavity, all those kinds of bands, and then part three uh, is kind of the post metal, I guess. Really good chapters on Godflesh, Author, and Punisher, Neurosis, Isis, Earth, Sun, Harvey Milk, uh, the Body. It's really good. JJ plays drums in a doomy band called Drainage, which is just an awesome band name too.
0: Drainage, yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, check that out. Doom to Fail, JJ and Selmy.
0: Do you know what the publisher is?
1: Yeah, it's Rare Bird Books. They've, Rare
0: Bird Books, I'm pretty okay.
1: sure they did possibly that Bruce Duff book, maybe. Oh? I know I've read other uh, books on, on Rare Bird. They have a podcast, too, actually.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm always interested. Sometimes, you know, you can order it direct from them and uh, bundle up in a package. You never know, so it's good for folks to know what the publisher is.
1: Yeah, That's it for me, Ryan. What do you have?
0: Cool. Uh, I have got two on the tree. I tried to find a third. I could only find two on the tree this week. But the first one I thought I would mention is a new record that is about to be released from Jack Indino. His first record in 15 years. It's Mm -hmm. called Set Myself on Fire, named after uh, the song from a, a prior EP of his. It is coming out on Capacitor Records. And it's just full of a ton of you know guest musicians and frequent Indino collaborators like Barrett Martin on drums, Johnny Graziati, I'm probably mispronouncing that, and Sam McDonald from Candy Coated, another Indino band, uh, Rob Skinner from Coffin Break, Chris Johnson from Indino's Earthworm and Zeke, Alex Sibbald from The Accused and Grunt Truck, josh cinder from tad grunt truck the accused you know this is going to sound good and right up our alley Mm -hmm. some new indino 15 years it's been since his last album his last one was called permanent fatal error which was good he has since like during all these lockdown months been uh, remixing and re-releasing some of his albums like virtually but this is coming out in blood red vinyl physical copy so cool to get some new indino right on the second one i uh, came across i wonder if this is an artist that you know brandt i i think it's probably pretty likely it's a compilation i found called highway butterfly mm-hmm. the songs of neil castle
1: yeah yeah it's, that, it's brand new it's like yeah yeah 60 tracks or something like that
0: yeah it's so neil castle this is why i think i mean he was in Ryan Adams' band, the Cardinals, but he was also in the Chris Robinson Brotherhood band and others that I suspect you know of or follow more deeply than I do. Also had a number of solo records on Glitterhouse, kind of a country rock tinge. He passed away in 2019. It is a massive compilation, either a three CD or five LP compilation, doing his songs, 41 artists. There's also an accompanying podcast called the stories of Neil castle that you can check out on the comp. There's a ton of artists that make a lot of sense to be doing, uh, Neil songs. Um, there's shooter Jennings, Phil Lesh. Brant is on this. He, Steve he played S- with, with Phil Lesh for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, Steve Earl, uh, but also Jay Mascus does mm-hmm. a song on the comp. Yeah. So do you, am I right? Do you know Neil's work? Uh,
1: yeah, he's probably played with, like, I don't know, maybe the Beachwood Sparks or one of those bands, maybe. I mean, I primarily know him as a member of Chris, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood for sure.
0: Okay. I really, really don't know his catalog or anything, but, um, you know, better late than never. It's too bad that he's passed on, but a great excuse to uh, get to know his music through people paying tribute and time to maybe dig dig deeper i i was shocked when i was looking up his stuff to see he had these records on Glitterhouse. i don't know if it's a licensing deal but you know i usually have a pretty good grasp of artists on Glitterhouse, and mm. he's totally escaped me so definitely something to check into
1: yeah unfortunately he took his own life and i think there's an aspect of this uh this comp that you know raises funds for suicide awareness and prevention
0: ah okay well, a, a good cause as well. Yeah. Well, that's all. I've got a couple of uh, quick spiels there, Brent. Do you uh, want to get into the Westies?
1: Yeah, man.
2: History lesson, part one.
0: All right. So we've got a great interview with Terry coming up right away. But before we go there, I'll try and uh, set the stage here. And like I said, we are heading to Minneapolis. And, and Run Westie Run, they're one of those great Minneapolis Minnesota bands from the 80s, they do definitely often get overshadowed by some of the bigger names like The Replacements, Husker Du, even uh, like Soul Asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is a fact that they, the Westies were not as popular, but they were legendary in their own right. They have a great history, lots of overlap with other bands we know, and most of all, some great music. Yeah,
1: they definitely stand apart from those
0: bands for sure for sure but i also you know when i listen to run westy run there is a whole stream of like noisy minneapolis music where i can see kind of common references um with some of the westies music so i don't know it's cool it's cool to get into them here now some of this you'll cover in the interview with terry but uh just to set the stage here run westy run were formed in 1984 by three brothers from St. Louis Park, Kirk, Kyle, and Craig Johnson. Kirk's the singer. Kyle and Craig started off doing both guitar and bass, but it seems as though Kyle ended up kind of settling more so on guitar, Craig settling more so on bass. Kirk and Kyle were, for a period of time, playing around in New York and San Francisco. Terry met Craig in 1982. They started up a band called The Portables, and that's when they had a drummer named Tommy, Tommy Martin. But eventually Craig asked his brothers, Kirk and Kyle, to move to Minneapolis and start up the band Run West You Run with Terry. Tommy was in the band to start, but then they eventually got Bob Jocelyn on drums. Terry's on lead guitar, and that's the lineup we're talking about here on this episode. Run Westy Run took their name from a children's book from 1966 by Gudrun Alcock, and the book was about a rebellious preteen named Westy. This record, Hardly Not Even, it's their first for SST. It was preceded by a single on Tontine Records, which is a, a label that Grant Hart started out Basically, to release that single, this is the Dizzy Road single from 86, which is included as bonus tracks on the next release will go through, their self-titled uh, release at SST-199. Tontine Records also eventually released some Nova Mob records later on after that self-titled record in 1988 they then moved on to twin tone records for the green cat island record which is my favorite of the Westie records it's too bad we don't get to cover it on the show but i love that one and on that record it's daniel davis on drums who came over from the swingin teens after moving to twin tone they dabbled with major labels in the early 90s they released the plowed into god seven inch and the david's drum EP, both on Big Money Inc. Records, which is a a label that put out releases by bands like Rifle Sport, Arc Welder, a bunch of others. Some of the major label sessions and songs found their way onto the Cockroach Park EP from 1994. That's a self-released EP. Um, But really their activity started to die down after 1994. Craig got busy in Golden Smog and the Jayhawks. Kirk also started a side project called So-So, which ended up being a band called Ify, with Tommy Merkel from Nova Mob. And Craig actually joined that band after he was done in the Jayhawks. Run Westy Run essentially was done in around 1998. Um, Ify released the 2001 Biota Bondo record. And, and if he's kind of they're definitely different band than Run West You Run, kind of a, they're described as electro soul pop as well. Um, in the early 2000s, Craig ended up leading a band called The program with members of Sunvolt, the Jayhawks, Golden Smog. They actually released um, a posthumous album in 2018 on the Sustones label from Minneapolis. Craig, of course, also recorded some solo records. Iffy and the program, though, both kind of ran out of steam in the mid-2000s. Craig was in New York for a while, playing with the band The Lonely Astronauts for a few years. But Craig and Kirk eventually went back to Minneapolis. And in 2013, after a 15-year hiatus, Run Westy Run returned, also with a 2014 live album called Live from Cannon Falls here the core lineup is craig kirk terry and peter anderson on drums and paul mcfarland on bass and and there's also been various other members of the minnesota scene in uh the kind of the later era run westy run they released a digital single in 2017 called christie casino and it's been reported and i i read this on the first avenue and seventh street entry website so i feel like it has some credibility here in January of 2021, the Westies recorded a new album at Flower Studios in Minneapolis, and apparently they plan to release it late 2021, early 2022, and really looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, I want, I want to hear uh, the boys, and especially Terry, just rip it up again on a new Westies record.
1: Yeah, man. Hey, Ryan, I have a trivia question for you. It's an sure, e- man. It's an easy one, though. Okay. What do our last... Two episodes and this one have in common, Mofungo and Dostamin with Run Westy Run.
0: <laughs> it's not that easy because I'm drawing a blank. Other than SST, I give up, man. I'm drawing a blank. Twin Tone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so, hey?
1: It's like three three episodes in a row where Twin Tone was kind of yeah. like, you know, Dostamin moved over to Twin Tone. True. So did the Westies, and so did the Westies. Mofongo moved from Twin Tone.
0: Ah, yeah. Well, I mean, Twin Tone had some great releases. There, there are definitely some ones where I guess you could say they're a lot more mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, Twin Tone is just full of great, great music, and um, they definitely were one of those keystones in the '80s for for this indie scene i guess you know Mm -hmm. and uh not at all surprised to see bands moving back and forth and there are lots of labels like that you know sub pop etc etc yeah but good good trivia question totally (laughs) stumped me it's funny you you stumped me after listening to those three bands three weeks in a row plus this entire week with the
1: here we
0: go (laughs) with the (laughs) with the exception of run westy run this entire week, all I've been listening to is the Sorry Ma box set. And uh, yeah, just I've just been totally soaking in it.
1: That's it? That's all you're going to say about the box set?
0: The box set is amazing, uh, but Rhino didn't send me all my bonus items. So I'm in a Twitter feud with them uh, to, to get all the extra stuff I pre-ordered. Mm-hmm. Soleil, man, they screw it up 15 ways from Sunday. Every bloody replacement's box set. All
1: right, should we throw it over to Terry? Yeah, man. All right, we're joined on the podcast by Terry Fisher. Terry, thanks for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Brent. Thank you for having me. Yeah, okay. So we're going back to Minneapolis. Now, is that where you were? Are you from Minneapolis?
2: I am from Minneapolis, one little um, suburb next to Minneapolis. I guess you could say all the Johnson brothers as well. We're all from St. Louis Park, which is just west of Minneapolis.
1: Okay, it's like a small, smaller, like a bedroom community. Yeah, oh, a bedroom community. I've never heard that. That's what we call them here. Um, (laughs) Really? Yeah. It's it's about maybe seventy thousand people, little township. Oh yeah. I guess right next to Minneapolis. So when we say the Twin Cities, it's actually like Triple Cities.
2: Yes. Well, (laughs) St. Paul, Minneapolis. Yes. I'm actually living in St. Paul now.
1: That's where you went to school, in St. Louis Park? Yeah,
2: yeah, the Johnson brothers, and then I went to high school there and and junior high. I moved around a lot, but I ended up there during my high school and was really fortunate to meet the youngest Johnson brother, Craig. And uh, he and I met through mutual friends, and we both played guitar. And uh, we played one night together at a friend's house, and it just clicked, and we were like, holy cow, we were playing like, original stuff just making stuff up on the spot and that that was when
1: 1982 oh 80, wow so way before yeah yeah is this is I, this the tusslers
2: wow you heard of the tusslers <laughs> no this is even before that it's a band called the portables okay and we we did some recording but we never released anything um mm-hmm. you see i think we we're 83 84 we did that,
1: and then we broke up and started Run Westy Run. So pre Run Westy Run, what kind of music were you playing? What, were you guys um, into punk rock at this point?
2: We kind of were. Yeah. Um, it was punk rock. It was like what eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. Slam dancing, I think they were calling it here in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Slam punk rock, Sex Pistols, Ramones, all that stuff. Right, this kind of. Cu- still in high school at the time and just like okay well that's that's easy to play we can do that just bash away on some bar chords and have fun but then rockabilly the stray cats came out and craig and i kind of were like oh and then i started to play bass and we kind of did some rockabilly stuff for a while with Uh. the portables and with run rest and run later on we never really locked into a style and
1: i don't know if we have a style even yet 35 years on yeah just play whatever comes Well, since you say rockabilly, I can definitely hear that influence in your playing, for sure. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my playing blues, I grew up really loving Jimmy Page, um, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, and obviously, you know, the other greats, Jimmy Hendrix and stuff, but I really... And B.B. King, I gotta say B.B. King, really... I was like, wow, B.B. King really knows how to speak from his, I don't know what you call it, soul, heart... Yeah, are you self taught? Like, I could. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, I am. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my God, the kids these days are the young. You know, it's insane yeah. how good they are. I'm still trying to learn. Like what? That's the what? Flat
1: fifth? What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so you and Craig are kind of jamming together now. What about uh, Kyle and Kirk? Are they kicking around I- too?
2: Kyle and Kirk were in New York and then they went up to San Francisco and they had a band called the young cherries mm. with a couple other people. And, um, they were doing good. They were, I don't, I really don't know. They were like doing gigs and they were busking on the corner and things like that. And they had some songs. Kyle had some songs. And so Craig and I are in the portables and, um, and then the portables actually broke up. And then, um, for like six months and Craig and I eventually said hey let's get my brothers to come to Minneapolis. Okay. Kyle and Kirk from Young Cherries and they did. They came in, we jammed once and they're like wow this is kind of good and then they moved here and they were like yeah let's do it again and we played again and then we wrote a couple songs Dizzy Road I think was one of the first ones that we came up with
1: and um, it just was chemistry was great. Yeah, I'm Like okay let's do this. I'm assuming that Kirk and Kyle are a little bit older than if they were off in New York already. Yeah, yeah. Craig was born in sixty
2: five. I was born in sixty four. Um Kirk was born in sixty one and Kyle was born in fifty nine. Yeah. He was um we call him the chief. He was he was the wise one. He would just look at Craig and I in our youth and just shake his head and go, Oh, you guys <laughs>
1: okay so you and kyle are both playing guitar he's kind of playing more rhythm and you're playing lead yeah that was kind of the idea i loved it wasn't the idea but it was like i um i just i just
2: could do it i guess and kyle kyle loved playing rhythm and kyle's guitar playing was just phenomenal um Looking back on it, he was—he—he he took lessons for like a week or two, maybe a month—I don't remember—but mm-hmm. um, yeah, he learned some really crazy stuff, and I was just like, "Holy cow!" Um, and then I just loved playing leads. I just—I could do it. That Baby King thinking got of like, maybe i
1: wanted to be a singer, but I can't sing, so I played lead guitar. Okay. Now, how does Bob come into the picture? Bobby J came in the picture. We had a,
2: an original drummer from the Portables. His name was Tommy Martin. And he started out with Run Westy Run and recorded a lot of songs with us. Well, no, he didn't record, but wrote a lot of the songs with us, you could say. Was there at the inception of the songs, I guess is a better way to put it. And, um, we just had a falling out with him. Um, and he left the band and then Bobby J met Craig at gig one night and Craig said hey I met this guy Bobby and he's phenomenal let's check him out and he is phenomenal mm-hmm. and we played with him I was like holy shit um, so we played with him and it, and it elevated us like wow there's a saying that um, your band's only as good as your drummer and I think that might
1: be kind of true yeah for sure oh, it my is <laughs> yes yes Yeah, it seems like I get the sense that the band formed, I believe, around, you know, 84-ish. Early 85, probably. Maybe late 84, we got together. And then around early 85, we
2: said, okay, we got a band and let's find a name.
1: So yeah, early 85. So there's, like, quite a history before you end up releasing stuff. Yeah, for
2: almost a year, maybe. Um And then Grant Hart was on um, SST, and we'd been playing local shows, and the buzz took off really quick about us. We had such a huge buzz, local scene, and we're doing really good. And Grant approached us, was friends with Kyle, and um, we recorded on a label, Tom Teen Records, that Grant just started. I think we were the first one to put out a. I don't know if he has any other releases, but we released a 45 with Dizzy Road, um, Circles of Joy, and No Way in the World. Mm-hmm. And so we did that, and then that was out for a few months. And and then he got a hold of um, SST, Greg Ginn,
1: and um, asked him, and we got signed to SST. Mm-hmm. And we were like, what? I, uh, what? I assumed Grant was kind of the the in there. Catalyst. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Some of those bands, like Husker Du and The Replacements, were you playing with those bands? Or, like, I'm, you know, the, those guys are a little bit older than you guys. so like, Or were you kind of headlining your own show? Did you have your own bands that you played with?
2: Um, we were doing shows in the 7th Street Entry and at the Uptown Bar. We never played with The Replacements. Um... I don't even think we played with Husker Du. We may have, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Soul Asylum were, were around Logfest Rules, they called themselves at the time. We played a basement party with them around 85 or so, in the early, early days. Mm-hmm. And um, But we never saddled up with any of the local bands, and I mean, all through our early, early careers, you know, people, when we go out on the country and tour and stuff, they'd ask us about those other bands. And it was like, well, we really don't, we don't have any connections with them really other than Grant, you know?
1: Yeah. When did you start touring? It would have been after the first SST
2: record. So Grant got us signed. I'm trying to think. Did Actually, here's what happened, Grant, is um, we played the Uptown Bar and Peter Buck from REM was in town in 85 or so, it must've been 85, late 85 or early 86. And he saw us and we had a song, mop it up. And um, he loved that song and he talked to Grant and they were like, hey, let's get those guys in the studio. And so they brought us into Nicklet Studios and we recorded 21 songs. And all the stuff on Hardly Not Even is from that session. I'm confused on whether or not we were signed SSG records at that time it feels like we were.
1: I was going to yeah. say it like I was almost certain that almost all of this stuff on these two SST records were like all recorded in I'm in one session. I'm using air quotes cause I don't know how many days that would have been, but uh, I know like both it's records true. came out in 88, I believe.
2: Yeah. I think they've hardly not even made it in 87 and mm. then the other one in 88. So, um, the self-titled one with the fish on it from sst 198 i think it is release mm-hmm. um half of that is six songs from the hardly not even sessions and that has mopped it up on it which we didn't put on the first record and i remember peter was like what you guys didn't put that on your first record <laughs> stupid <laughs> and in hindsight yeah we were stupid <laughs> <laughs> and then the and then the other side of the fish record we did at another studio here. Someone had a house in the studio and it's kind of way different. It's kind of harder guitars and heavier mm-hmm. um songs like Black Ball G and so forth, but that's another record. You'll get to that in
1: six records. Yeah. So what do you recall about recording with those guys with Steve Felstead and Grant and Peter? I
2: remember going to Nickwit Studios and being totally green. <laughs> no experience um, going wow this is amazing setting up doing live just playing rough mixes you know just setting up playing as a band mm-hmm. and they recorded us and I didn't have a guitar amp so they just set me up with a guitar amp and played and I remember man this is so fun this is great and I had all these ideas to do overdubs and such and during that first four days of five days of laying down tracks and then right somewhere right around then I caught a really bad cold and I was sick and I didn't want to get Peter sick. I remember I was so worried about it. I was like, I can't come to the studio. I'm just dripping snot, you know, I'm just terrible, terrible. So I stopped coming. I did all my parts at that point, but I still wanted to do more. And, but I missed like three or four days. And by the time I got better, they had mixed everything. Oh boy. And so i i missed the end of it, so I looked back and i go, oh man, there's things I wanted to do, but couldn't. It was fantastic being in there. It was great. Peter and Grant sitting at the control and just taking it all in.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me about the live show. I mean, I've read bits and pieces about about the band, and uh-huh. uh, it's very common to hear people say, you know, it was a unpredictable. You show words like unpredictable or... Chaotic live show. It is true. Um, <laughs>
2: live um, recordings, yeah, it's very different at the live show. Kirk, I would say a lot of that had to do with Kirk. Mm-hmm. He was very unpredictable. Remember, he taped magazines pictures to his chest with cellophane <laughs> tape and put his clothes on over it, and at one point took his clothes off and had all these pictures on himself. <laughs> and then he thought it was a good idea to light him on fire, and he lights one on fire, and then goes, oh, I'm bare-skinned on it. Maybe that wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> and he burned his nipple really bad. I remember that. Um, another time, he thought, hey, I got this great idea bring sawdust and throw it and light it on fire. He would do stuff like that. Hmm. I can't even describe it. He was just insane. He was for, like, me, Jimmy Page was my guy. Like, wow, Jimmy Page. Because I, I saw Led Zeppelin when I was 12. Oh, wow. I was like, that's what, that's what I want to do. I saw him. I was like, that, right there, that's what I want to do. And for Kirk, I think um, Iggy Pop was big, and Jim Morrison mm. were big, and that that those were his guys. So I think Kirk kind of, I don't want to say emulated, emulated mm-hmm. Iggy, but he had that kind of... Unexpectedness You don't know What's coming next And then it was just Good And then Bobby Jadion Such a good drummer When we'd play live He would just He was so good And just elevate the band Live You know Playing live So good
1: Now by the time These records came out On SST Did you tour Or were you mostly Just playing hometown shows
2: So the record came out And we hooked up With um, Twin Towers Booking Which was Connected to a lot of SST bands. Mm-hmm. And um, they took us on Steve Call, K A U L, Steve Call. Okay. And um, he, he set up a national tour for us. Like, I can't remember how many dates, 30 some dates. And we went out and did that. And he did like three or four of those tours, maybe more. Wow. And, and we did that a lot. And I remember playing shows with the Screaming Trees, um, some of the other SST bands. I think it was 88, we were supposed to play a showcase, SST showcase at CBGB's in at uh, in New York. Oh, for and the CMJ our, thing, I bet. Yeah, this is like 88, I believe. Yeah. And Soundgarden was playing and, and such. Yeah. They were still on SST at the time. And we were in Boston, and we were going to head down to New York, but our van breaks down. And we Shit. were stuck up there for like a week, and so we missed it. We missed it, Brant. And I was like, damn, that, <laughs> that might've been mm, a fork in the road, you know, a detour. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. Yeah. For some reason, we always had kind of little hiccups in our career.
1: Let's talk about this record. Hardly not even, you know, even on the, the seven inch dizzy road, like there's no credits at all. <laughs> and this one too, like no writing credits, no, uh, it doesn't credit any of the players. Was that intentional? Do you think?
2: I think it was. Yeah. Um, at the time, we were like one, you know, we're all in it. I remember being a strong proponent of that because it just felt right. I was like, you know, split it five ways. We're all there writing the songs together. Even though Bobby J wasn't there, but I was still like, he's in the band. Let's just do it that way. Right. Keep it simple. And then we had Knee Jerk Music, which we set up. I don't know. We had lawyers. I'm still so not business savvy, even to this day. But um, so that was the thinking behind that. Mm -hmm. and then there was another thing it's like if we were writing songs it's like no you know if you start going well here's my song and there's your song then you start getting into the thing well I want my song on the record no I want my song getting that you know so I the way I was looking at personally was like if we all just collective we don't have to worry about that Right. we'll just take the best songs because we all get you know same credit for it for sure but it doesn't even say guitars on it. I don't. I, I don't even. Ha- I don't even have a copy of. Hardly not even. Mm. I don't know if it says
1: Craig on bass, Kyle on guitar. I don't yeah, know it doesn't say that. anything. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? No, no, nothing. It's got That's a interesting. It's got a great lyric sheet. Do you know who would have written that out? I'm assuming it was Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. Kirk is amazing lyricist.
2: God, he's phenomenal. Even to this day, still playing with them. And just
1: like, wow. Yeah. My mind is blown every time. It definitely stands out for sure. Let's talk about some of these tracks. Yoke of the Dumbwish. Yes. What what do you remember about that song? I remember Kyle playing that. <laughs> like that's that's
2: the guitar playing. I'm talking about how good he was. I was like, Oh my god, that was killer. And we we did that and we I remember hearing that and it seemed like Kurt just boom came out putting his vocals on pretty quickly. hmm Craig was on bass. Um I played what guitar stuff I could over it. Like, wow, what do I play with this? And I don't know, I just played whatever sounded good. And we love that song. I love that
1: song. It's a fun one. Yeah, it's a great opener. Did did Craig and Kyle kinda of switch up bass and guitar?
2: They did. Yeah. yeah. Um even on that first record, yes, they would. Live so on too? Yoke of the Dummish, Yes, when we play live they would switch up and mm-hmm. Craig would play bass on um I play guitar on a handful of songs. Kyle would play bass on maybe five songs. Yeah, Craig ended up becoming the bass player pretty much and a damn good one too. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Yoke of the Domwish and then what's the second track?
1: Uh the next tracks Drag Planet. It sounds, you know, I can hear bands like the Big Boys or the Gun Club, but the, also like almost a bit of a metal feel almost. Yes.
2: I loved hard rock, you know, the Sabbath, I don't know, Black Sabbath, loved hard rock. Yeah. So Kyle came up with that. <laughs> and then we were doing that and Kirk's doing that. I can tell by your posture. And we're going, oh, well, this is cool. And then we kind of stopped and, hey, let's speed it up, double time it. And then we did that. And um, I came up, I had that kind of Arabic guitar lick thing that I was doing. And I was like, hey, I could do this in that song. And it just, it just came so natural. We didn't even think about it. Just like somebody would play something, like all of some would add a part, and you know. Yeah, that works. And they all came together so beautifully
1: organically. Yeah. Is that is that how a lot of these were written then? Like someone would just play a riff and then you would kind of write them together at the pra- in the practice exactly. space? Exactly. Yeah. exactly and yes and
2: the funny thing is we would never go hey what are you doing we just look at each other's hands and see what key they're in and kind of write our own parts for the song mm-hmm. it's very strange and yeah. kind of even to this day it, it's still that way
1: yeah well I, I mean can, you can hear it in the songs arrangements It's they sound like songs that were you know, worked up by a band that's you know, like jamming together.
2: Yeah. A lot of jamming. That's what it was. We, we, we just play together and jam, but we'd never really look at it. What the other guy was doing. At least I did. Mm-hmm. I was like, like, oh, I'm just playing. That sounds good to my ears. That's working. I'm going to keep doing this. And I think everyone else would do that too. That's working. Keep doing it. When we, when we reunited back in 2014, we were relearning these songs. Yeah. And I remember going to Craig and going, Oh my God, that's what you're playing. <laughs> oh my god that's what you're playing I never knew I never knew how to play his parts or what he was doing
1: right uh, the next song She Rose you, you mentioned Kirk's lyrics like when you read along they're definitely more like poetry than standard rock lyrics like if the body's a temple then why does mine feel like a low bruised thumb <laughs> stuff like that is right? it, just amazing like was he so is he coming with like of of lyrics and stuff like that to, yes, to the practice space? I can tell you. Yes, so back then he had a book, mm-hmm. one of those artist books,
2: sketchbooks, that he had written lyrics. And the, I don't know, it was full of lyrics. And he would open that up, I think, at times and just start reading it and singing it. And he's really good at looking at the words and then kind of, um, how do I say it? Um, I don't know, putting them to the melody and... Yes, so you you're spot on. He had a book that, of poems and lyrics and things cuz he was into Jim Morrison, loved the poetry. He's, he's really good of he's got that
1: gift, gift yeah. of words. Yeah, you and can so tell you can tell he's great with words, but like even the structure of the vocals, I mean it's it's perfect for the music and it you know, it really works well, but it doesn't have like the traditional structure you'll see of lyrics where it's A B A B if you know what I mean, right? I do, yeah. I do, and I
2: think, I think these days now, I don't know if he was doing it then, but he'll he'll purposely do that because even like right now, I'll write a song and you know ah oh, that sounds like too familiar, too 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 traditional,
1: and he'll just change up the melody and kind of stutter the
2: words. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, just he likes yeah. Yeah, it was great having the lyric sheet to, to read along, and it, it definitely comes comes through when you, you read along with it and, and see it I'm written laughing because, on a page. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because
2: to this day I don't know the lyrics still, <laughs> unless I can read them in front of me. And if you notice, those are all I think those are all in the key of E. I think we really like key of E.
1: Mm, yeah, well, it's a good one. In dark. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dark kind of record. It's nothing like an open E chord. And then what, what's after the Shiro's? Heckhouse. Uh, kind of can see this being a like a centerpiece of the live show, maybe. It was great fun. So Craig had that bass line
2: for the Heckhouse, mm-hmm. And then I saw he was in ye, and so I kind of just fiddled with E minor and some G stuff and noodled. And Kyle played harmonica. Mm. And it just kind of grew from that. And then Kirk... So Kirk, I remember Kirk telling us about what you call hell, I call homes. Rambo's living in. I can't remember the lyric, but he said he was in a hotel with Kyle, maybe, and Rambo was on TV. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that was that was an inspiration. That's where the Rambo came from. Yep. And I don't I don't remember the lyrics. I'm really bad with lyrics even to this day. Yeah. Well, I I remember that was an inspiration. And it was just a jam. I love that song, and I've been trying to get them to play it, but we won't play it. They mm. won't play it. And then what, what's after that? Dark Town? Yeah, 71's next. Yeah, 71. Lyrically, I have no idea what's going on with that, but it's. Brilliant. I love that song. Um, I think Craig came up with that bass line on that. It's got that hypnotic... Down, 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 just an easy riff. I guess they say Westies playing in the box. So musically, that's like in the box, I guess. Right. They say. And I heard it, and then I was like, wow. And I think um, what I played on, I think I subconsciously was drawing on kind of like the Exorcist mm. um, mm-hmm. theme song. It's really haunting. Yep. That was a fun one to play. I remember Peter Buck was going, holy shit, what are you doing on that? He was like, what are you doing? Like ringing your E-strings and playing the doubling up on your high E-string?
1: Well, you were talking about, and, you know, growing up on what we call classic rock now, and maybe this is just the blues influence, too, but, you know, I can even hear some, some Fogarty in your playing, some CCR. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I definitely grew up on classic rock. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: And so, yeah, I would just emulate what I heard, you know. Mm-hmm. And Brent, I got to tell you, through all the years, it got, it got to a point where it's like I couldn't, even, I purposely wouldn't listen to music because I would subconsciously eventually repeat it, right? Like months down the road, two months down the road. Yeah. On that note, Peter Buck saw me doing that high E thing, and then. They did a record, I don't know the name of it, Automatic for the People or something like yep, that. And yep. it, that green, gr- green is it? there's there's a song where Peter's doing the high E thing. <laughs> and I've always said, ah,
1: he got that from me. <laughs> okay, we're flipping the record over now with my favorite song title, King of the Zebra Pants, or King of Zebra Pants. <laughs> yes. I love these kind of volume swells you're doing in the song. it Almost like approximates a slide. At least I think that's what you're doing. Yes,
2: volume swells.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how
2: I did it. I just did it once, and I went, "Wow, that's cool." Yeah, I like that. I guess some people have talked about. I think whales. They're saying, "Oh, it sounds like whales or something," but mm. I. I just liked it. I don't know. I don't think about it. I'm just like that sounds great. That's fun. Mm-hmm. It's really good, and um, that song. Kyle had the the framework for the you know, the dong, the whatever you want to call it, the melody or rhythm, it's not really rhythm, it's just a riff. Right. And then um Kyle is the king of zebra pants. So Kirk wrote about Kyle. Kyle had some zebra pants <laughs> and he'd wear them all the time during a period in their growing up together. Right. I think it was during the young cherries. Okay. And so I think that song's basically about Kyle lyrically. Another one in E. I think every song is in E. Nope, She Rose might be in A.
1: Iceland Queen.
2: Key of A. Yep. Craig came up with that bass line one day. We were just jamming. All of a sudden Craig starts going da, 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 and they're like, wow, that's nice. And then we just bashed away at the A, a chords. And then they did some crazy change and it all just fell together. Like oh, I can do this weird little guitar lead thing there, and, and Kirk singing. I don't know. I've only surmised about some woman that he knew at some point. Right. Hey. I have to
1: assume. Okay, the next track's Skelter. Love the kind of moody vibe, the shaker, and the that like ascending riff where you're going up a, a step. That's yeah. That's great. Yeah, that
2: is so. So it's nice and easy and simple. Just the E, pounding on the E with the occasional after and then um the lead. I just bent that lead and yeah. higher, higher, back, whatever, whatever. It just came organic, you know. There they are. Yeah,
1: you were playing Les then, Pauls mostly.
2: Yeah, I had a 1976 Les Paul standard. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not coveted. And still on to this day because they're like eleven pieces all glued together and they're really heavy. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I got one really. Yeah. Do you play guitar, Brent? Yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 So, I love that guitar, and it turned out it was a '76, but someone had put a '64 T-top pickup in it, mm. and it, and it was really great. So I found that out years later. Mm-hmm.
1: They are heavy. But yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That song. That song's still fun to play. Yeah, love playing that one. Yeah, I bet, yeah. Uh, By Love Is Next, really nice kind of departure on the album, you know, with the sparse instrumentation. Uh, did you play it live I, like that? We would play it live occasionally. Yeah. I, so that song,
2: I did, I came up with that sitting at home one day, just, da, 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 and I actually had the, that's the only song in the, that I had words for by love, by love. And I brought to the band and it's the only song that Kirk actually repeated of me singing and having the melody Hmm. for that part. But then he goes into the, then he took it to his own thing, which he always does. He sings the verse murdered man rises, wipes off his gun. I'm like,
1: wow, brilliant. So that was a fun one.
2: Yeah. And very, yeah. I don't know how that made it on
1: the records and not mop it up. Okay, pull me back in. There's the blues influence for sure. Yeah, that was another one for me. That was pure me.
2: I had that thing, and I thought it was interesting. I was like, "Oh, it's kind of cool." I didn't know any. I still don't know anything about guitar. But I thought this was kind of neat, mm-hmm. and somehow we did it, and they went with me. Um, surprisingly, so fun one. Yeah, yeah, that's me, blues influence, I think.
1: That, that was all me. And mm-hmm. they just played their parts. And then we end with Darktown, just a short little rocker, cool, interesting kind of falsetto vocal from, from Kirk. I'm assuming that's him. Yes. Um
2: that one was Kyle. He had that riff in there in it. And Bobby J Yeah. Just a jam
1: bash song. Mm-hmm. Fun to play. Yeah. That whole record is so fun to play. Yeah, there's so many great riffs on this record. It's really
2: raw too, Brent. I gotta say when I listen back to it because like I told you earlier, I wasn't there when they were mixing it. Right. And I remember going, Ah, oh, it sounds weird. It sounds kinda
1: sparse. But it is what it is. Yeah. How does it sit with you now when you hear it? It sounds really raw and really sparse. And actually, perfect. Yeah, Terry, what can you tell me about the cover art? Were you like, do you know, do you know how this was created?
2: I do. Um, so there's Craig, Kirk, and Kyle, and they have a fourth brother, Kevin. Kevin made that that car, I remember. And then I was talking about, did you hear me when I was saying Grant Hart had a space? a warehouse space and Kyle and Kirk and a lot of the guys went to the space one night and made a cardboard city hmm. and painted buildings and such and
1: they were calling it Dookie City. Ah, that's why this guy's saying uh get that bad news bad wagon. news wagon on
2: it. <laughs> bust out of Dookie. It's <laughs> time we bust out of Dookie. On the yep, on one ninety eight. Yeah. They did that, and then I remember Kevin had the model car, and then they superimposed one of Kirk's paintings on it mm. um, with one of those old time slide projectors, I guess you'd call it.
1: I feel like there's some inside jokes <laughs> built into this with there could be yeah. i would I wasn't there when they when they when they made the uh
2: city, but I know Dookie. i mean I don't know is it globally known as shit,
1: because yep. here that's what it is. Yep. shit city. Yes. Now are, yeah, are any lot... of these landmarks like Minneapolis replicas of like real landmarks?
2: I would wonder about that myself. Um, it's highly probable, but I don't think it was intentionally done. No. Hmm. I just think it was just like a city cityscape. And from the story that I remember, Grant was like the mayor of Doopie city. They stayed <laughs> up all night drinking beer and just
1: mean silly mm-hmm. and making it. So fast forwarding a bit, you do your second SST record I think they come out pretty close at you know, pretty closely together. And then they and, are. And then you move on to twin tone. Yes. Um we did the second SST
2: record, toured on that. At some at some point we were in Portland, um, Oregon and we're heading down to California or something, and our drummer, Bobby J, there was just ongoing tensions. Mm-hmm. And um, at some point during that moment, there was a bad moment, and it's like, I remember a couple guys in the band said, I'm fucking done. And so when we got back to Minneapolis, he left the band. Mm-hmm. And then we, we went through a few different drummers, and I don't remember why, Something happened with SST. Something was going on. Like, we're not going to do another one with SST. Um, I don't remember the specifics. I think, I think, I mean, they put out so many records at the time; they were just throwing them out there. Right. And I think I don't remember what happened, but you know, it was like, okay, we're not going to do them. We're going to cut you guys loose. And so we just kept on going. We got a new drummer, wrote a lot of new songs. And um, we recorded it. We drove down to Athens, Georgia to go see Peter Buck and stayed at his place for two weeks and recorded down there and did that record. And then we had it and
1: we were trying to get it put on the label and I guess Twin Tone jumped on it and said, well, we'll buy it. What's the best of the three full lengths? Mm. I really like, man, it's
2: a tough one. I like the one side that we did of uh, the self-titled record that we did in Minneapolis.
1: The non-Nicolette side.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, was, um, the, it was called the Bailey House. I can't, um, Mirror Image Studios. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Um, songs like G, Black Ball, like I was saying. I don't know. I don't. It's hard to pick, you know. Yeah. I really do love the first record, though. Just talking about it. You going over the songs, I was going, oh, man, I like that song. I like it. There's not a song I don't like,
1: but I'm biased. Right. Uh, what happened after the Twin Tone album? Yeah, so we, t- we toured on the Green Cat Island
2: record. Steve Call from Twin Towers was still booking us. We toured there in America. And, um, and then Grant Hart was in Nova Mob, so he took us to Europe, and mm-hmm. we toured Europe for a month and a half or so with Nova Mob. Came back, and then Kyle left the band. Just said, I'm not going to do it anymore. And we were just like, what? Shocked. Yeah. And he left the band. And then we kind of floundered around for a while. Got John Joyce on bass. And um, 91, 92 played with him. 93 we went to um, John was dating a, a woman that Worked at A&M Records. Mm -hmm. And so we got kind of a backdoor deal for A&M Records. 92 December, went up to New York, recorded out there for like two, three months. That was a great experience. Um, We're sitting on like 12, 13 songs of that.
1: Yeah, never came out.
2: Never came out. Mm. Um, Actually, David's drum from one of those... EPs we did is from that session okay. and Hitcham Tall, Hitcham Tall is. Do you have the um, recording still? We do. Yeah. And we, we we own all the rights to it. We can record, we can release it. Oh, wow. But
1: but we've just been kind of sitting on it. Mm. Um, I bet there's other unreleased stuff of, too. There is. Yeah. There is. As
2: a matter of fact, Bobby J got some stuff that we did from the dizzy road session oh wow there's like 20 20 songs a lot of those songs i'm speaking of came out on hardly not even different versions but bobby J has them and he's been sitting on them and he won't give them to us oh that's too bad i know right i go i keep saying bobby just release it i'll buy a copy (laughs) i want to hear it yeah but yeah there's a lot of weird stuff Hmm. holy shit Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot between all those EPs and such. So so A&M, we we did the record for A&M, and at the same time Song Garden did Black Hole Sun, they were on A&M at the time. Mm -hmm. And Sheryl Crow did her debut record for A&M. So at that time, those records were just done, and ours was just done. And I look back at those two records compared to what we did and I understand why they let us go. So, but they let us go and said, "Oh, it's, you know, you guys have the full rights to it. And mm-hmm. Do do what you want with it." That doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So, we got lucky in that sense.
1: Yeah. And spent a lot of money. It was like a lot of money. Well, um, it would be amazing be if that. those tracks saw the light of day at some point i think that i mean we want to there's like a couple that we go. i don't want to release that track
2: but Mm -hmm. like i said um is from that we did that on cockroach park Mm -hmm. we released david's drum on some other ep and i think those are the only two from that session but there's like five or six other songs from the a&m sessions that are really good Mm -hmm. and yeah we're looking for an avenue to release those and currently right now we're in the studio right now we've We've been recording since April. Oh, wow. And we're trying to finish that stuff up. But we don't know how to release stuff now. We're, we're not savvy with the online stuff. Right. There's like Bandcamp and mm-hmm. stuff like that.
1: that. That's probably one of the most so popular st- uh, online avenues for sure. Right? Streaming. It's so strange. Well, I mean, you guys are still playing shows too, right? So I yeah I bet there's a market for you know some vinyl for sure, especially if you you know are, would be able to sell them at, at shows, you know,
2: yeah, yeah. and then i I hear people are talking about it's tough to get um vinyl made right now, but it is right now small yeah. Lots, yeah, yeah, you can do like five hundred, maybe a thousand right now, mm-hmm. but it's expensive too, like ten bucks a record or something like that I hear, yeah, but Brandt, we're playing november twenty seventh and we're playing. Christmas, December twenty fifth. If you want to come to Minneapolis, <laughs>
1: I do. It's only a twelve hour drive from from where I am, and it's only winter. It might not be that bad of a drive. <laughs> it might not. Yeah. Um. Tell me about yeah. those shows. Like how how often do you play?
2: We've played. We've been playing quite a bit. We've played maybe three or four shows mm-hmm. in the last year. Um. The COVID thing locked us down for a good while. Right. Um. But we've. We've been playing three or four, five shows. I don't know, quite a few. Yeah. And it's and it's fun as ever. It's just a gas to be playing. It's like we're just playing because it's so fun playing music.
1: Yeah. And people are still coming, and it's really good. Sorry to hear about Kyle's passing. That's got to be tough sometimes. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that was 2014. That was tough. Yeah. That was right when we were reuniting. Mm-hmm. And Kyle was practicing with us and and um, was going to do it, but we didn't know how sick he was. Right. And so we all kind of said, maybe wait for the next show is what happened. I was like, well, maybe you could play a couple songs with us because he had a couple down. Mm-hmm. But I guess we obviously all, as a group, said, no, let's wait for the next one. But then the next one never came. Yeah.
1: So he got sick and passed. Yeah. yeah and that's that's her hard. brother And all of yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Are you playing with yeah. any other bands, you personally?
2: I am. I'm playing with, um, I do a Zeppelin c- cover band, oh, I guess cool. you'd call it. Mm-hmm. It's not a tribute band, but it's we play Zeppelin. And been doing that for like three or four years. And they're really good. Um, that's why I started learning about uh, music more. Like, what? Like, dude, it comes in on three. I'm like, what? I can't count. I just hear it in my head. Right. So so I really realized how little I know about music playing with them. And then Kirk and I just started another band called Five Cent Reality. hmm It's a lot of fun. It's kind of mellow and I don't know.
1: I can't describe it. Right on. Everyone can head over to the Run Westy Run Facebook page. It seems like that's updated fairly regularly, so lots of good info on there for people. Correct. Terry, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. You are so very welcome, Brent. It's lovely to meet you, and
2: it's been
0: great talking about hardly not even.
1: Yeah, it's a
0: great record, man. Thank you so much. Hey, so Brent, great interview, of course, with Terry. So happy to have him on the show. But did he, uh, did he inspire you to maybe go like build up your calluses again? Yeah, maybe. Kind of seemed <laughs> like. Uh, There was a little bit of a spark there. Maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, It was great having Terry on for sure. You mentioned Daniel Davis earlier, Ryan, who replaced Bob Jocelyn for Mm -hmm. the Twin Tone era. He hooked me up with Terry. So thanks to Daniel.
0: Oh, Oh, cool. Thanks, Daniel.
1: Yeah. Uh, He mentions Steve Call, the booking agent. Twin Towers, I think is what he was calling his agency. Pretty sure he got his start at Global with Jordan and Chuck. Uh, and I think he's still in the industry today, like still booking some of those bands like Dinosaur Junior, Sebado, Lemonheads.
0: Yeah, wouldn't surprise me.
1: Yeah. Sounds like there's, you know, a run Westy Run box set out there.
0: Of unreleased material for yeah, sure.
1: Bunch of bunch of stuff from the Dizzy Road sessions even.
0: Yeah, like re release the records with bonus discs. Mm-hmm. You could definitely, definitely do that. I don't know. I'm loving it this week. It's been a long time since I've honestly like I I actually don't go back to the SST Westies records, um, but I'm I'm now like re-inspired. Um, I always have just listened to the the Twin Tone record, um, and I don't know if it's because I got it on CD like in the '90s and it was just really convenient, easy to put in the car, and that's the one that I know. But I'm all in on the Westies now. Love yeah.
1: it. No, this album rules, man, and yeah. I can't wait to get to. Uh, The self-titled one. And we won't have mm-hmm. to wait long either.
0: Yeah. Early in the new year. Yeah.
1: Hit me with some Spaceman, Ryan. Why don't you?
0: Sure. So this is actually the only Run Westy Run that I've got out of the SST catalog. So uh, I hope the Spaceman makes it good. Here we go. Run Westy Run. Hardly not even. Ring out that old way of doing things and ring in the new. Chalk full of brotherly love. This guided tour of Hell House, your house, brings new meaning to the phrase, rock your face off. Power guitar in the Stooges style, these nine songs are what you like. Hmm. LP, cassette, and CD.
1: Definitely confusing for me, anyways, that their next record is self-titled, and they came out the same year.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I couldn't find, you know, an actual well, a reliable actual release date. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, it was good to hear from Terry that most, if not all of these, are from the same session because that makes sense when you listen to it.
1: Here's a review, Ryan, from Ink Disease number 14 that I found. Run, Westy Run, can't run away from the dog of crossover music. Although crossover refers to the bands crossing over into heavy metal or rock in this situation, It's a case of an underground band crossing over into the mere accessible realm of pop. Musically, this band is grounded solidly into the melancholy genre of heavy 70s rock while still retaining a mild underground edge. The music is almost a naive search through loneliness. Unmistakably, though, a legitimate sincerity permeates this music, reinforced by an impressive melodic sense. Ryan, let's go through these tracks. Yeah. History lesson, part two. Okay, Ryan, so this is recorded at Nicolette Studios, December 86, engineered by Steve Felstead, produced by Grant Hart and Pete Buck. Peter is, of course, the guitarist in R.E.M. and a bunch of other bands. Steve played in bands himself, such as Fingerprints, who I think you talked about last week or the week before.
0: Yeah, their Lost Twin Tone record is getting released now.
1: Mm-hmm engineered tons of albums uh, like Husker Du's In a Free Land uh, and some later stuff too like Flip Your Wig*, Candy Apple Grade, New Day Rising, a bunch of the reflex bands like Ground Zero, Rifle Sport, uh, Articles of Faith, Man-Sized Action, I think most of the Matt's Twin Tone records
0: Yeah, he's got like an insane, insane list of credits, insane.
1: Soul Asylum, the first Tet Noir album Cynthia. Is there
0: anything bad that he touched? Yeah, I can't I think know. of it. Can't think of it.
1: Do you remember Tete Noir, Ryan? Remind me. That's Cynthia Bartell, Brian Ritchie's girlfriend from the era of The Blend. She plays on oh, The Blend. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah right. Tete yeah. Noir. Yeah.
1: So this came out on CD, LP, and cassette sometime in 88. Track one, side one, yoke of the dumb wish. Right out of the gates, Kyle and Terry's playing, like panned hard right and left, totally jumps out of the speakers for me. Mm-hmm. The rhythm section just laying it down, Kirk kind of sounding like a jacked up Gibby Haynes almost. Yeah, they really do at times remind me of Tim Kerr and Mike Carroll's related bands like Big Boys, Lord, Lord High Fixers, and in particular Poison Thirteen.
0: Poison Thirteen, yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: These guys are just total players, man. It's obvious right out, right away when you yeah, as soon as you this record starts spinning. Love yeah, the can- fade out at the end with all of Terry's hot licks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, great riffs, great vocals, great lyrics. Also some great, you know, obvious references to classic rock that they're just throwing in the blender. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, we we keep seeing this for SST bands, right? And uh, case in point with Run Westy Run, they do a great amalgamation of a ton of classic influences to make it their own, and to make it like uniquely Minneapolis-sounding, too.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, The second track, Drag Planet, kind of starts out as a swampy blues, and then Terry peels off this little -er Middle Eastern-sounding solo, and Mm -hmm. uh, the tempo picks up. The doubled solos are just bitching in this song. Yeah. (laughs) We've talked about Peter Andrus. Right. I I was actually just listening to the new Divine Horseman and marveling at his playing again. Terry is a total shredder, and Kyle's a total riffmeister, so they're officially in the SST Hall of Rippers for me.
0: The Hall of what?
1: Hall of Rippers.
0: Hall of Rippers with Peter Andrus.
1: Yeah.
0: From Crowbar Salvation too, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, this is... One of the tracks where there's some of those rockabilly licks Mm -hmm. peeking through as well too, and and I had this note in a number of places throughout the album too, definite gun club esque vibes here and there, which I love, just love. Yeah, for
1: sure. Well, it's the blues, right? Put through a punk filter.
0: Totally. Yeah. Except the next song is a little funky.
1: Yeah, she rose is next. Uh, A cool song structurally. Bob Jocelyn just tearing shit up on the drums. Uh, The vocal pattern actually kind of, and the song structure kind of remind me of that 60s song, No Friend of Mine by The Sparkles, covered by The Cynics. Just, I I don't know, the way he kind of raps the lyrics almost. And his lyrics are just great. A movie was showing, follow the dictator. I saw the closing years. Well, things got so messed up and I realize I ain't got the gear. I'm nothing without the rest of you. I'm just a bloke passing through till I see her intoxicated love burn a hole.
0: Youch. Uh, yeah. Yeah, total poet, hey?
1: Mm hmm. Uh, the next one is Heck House. There is some wicked footage on YouTube of them performing this song in '86. The title of the video is What You Call Hell. So maybe. I wonder if that wasn't the name of the song, maybe at some
0: point. Yeah, and that that actually sounds similar to what uh, the spaceman was saying about this album here. Hey, he mm-hmm. was saying, this guided tour of Hell House.
1: Yeah, songs totally built around a Craig bass line. In the video, Kyle puts down the guitar and he's just blowing his ass off for the on entire the bobo? song. Yeah, on, on her the Monica. bobo. Yeah. Okay. To me, this is their version of the Stooges' Dirt.
0: Hmm. Interesting. There's been lots of Stooges references in the last few episodes too. Hey, yeah. with the, with the releases we went through, mm-hmm. man, so influential. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This one's a standout for me. Um, the next song and the final one on side one is called 71. Terry just fret melting right off the bat. No real chorus in this track. It doesn't mention the number 71 anywhere in the track, uh, Again, Kirk's lyrics are super impressive. I struggle with a meaningless idea and I'm looking for a way into the clear. Took my conscious down to the laundromat, but my change ended up in a bodega for beer. Woo! Alright, flip it over. King of Zebra Pants, which is Kyle, (laughs) I think is what Terry says in the interview. This is another slower bluesy jam. Kirk's the star of this one for me. Super unhinged vocal in the best way. He kind of does those rockabilly hiccups.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: awesome Some, track
0: those great uh swells on the guitar too that you mm-hmm. and terry were talking about really come out love that
1: uh yeah the next track is iceland queen definitely built around a baseline again another one without a chorus really but it works
0: yeah the bass really holds it together and then there's like a uh a scratchy chicken pluck line kind of for the verse. It's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah.
1: Skeltor is the next song, uh, another standout for me. Um, just creates an awesome mood with that shaker and kind of those ominous riffs. Oh, uh, yeah. Kirk's lyrics are perfect for the vibe. Craig's bass playing was a standout for me on this one.
0: Yeah. The the, the maracas add that it's like a conjuring type of vibe you know like shit's gonna go down shit's gonna happen
1: lyrically valium by another name it's a clear claw on my brain it's a little like falling rain just love the lyrics Mm -hmm. Uh, the next track by love this is a real departure from the other tracks but it's you know it's cool very sparse instrumentation some finger-picked guitar bass kind of keeping the melody
0: yeah, I thought it was its kind of like a lullaby or a love song with some falsetto vocals, too, that show up for the first time. Yep, It's it's different.
1: The next track, Pull Me Back In, a bit of a country blues feel with this one. Mm-hmm. Cranked up moron music on my kitchen table, dulled adult sordid tongue, crude everydayness limbo.
0: Definitely some more rockabilly riffage in this tune as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And then it ends with Darktown, short little garage rocker, to end the record, just a minute, 42 seconds. Kirk singing falsetto kind of reminds reminded me of Jagger on some, like, Fool to Cry, for example.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird to hear the falsetto come in mm-hmm. you're like, what? But it works for sure.
1: Yeah. What an awesome record, though, man. I wish, again, I'm just going to bitch for a minute about the fact that this is super hard to hear. I'm assuming it's up on YouTube, but what a shame that you know, this isn't more readily available for people to check out. Mm-hmm. The artwork, Ryan, is pretty awesome. He talks about it in the interview. Uh, Terry does.
0: They made this.
1: I'm surprised it doesn't say fake name graphics anywhere.
0: Yeah, it definitely has Grant Hart all over it. Yeah. You know, it this, this cityscape made out of cardboard and the people and the figures, it, it it kind of reminds me of you know, remember those shadowy men videos? Mm, yep. It totally like this is you could do a shadowy men video in this this cardboard cityscape for sure, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that you're right. This is something they would have even done for themselves for album art.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's got that definite vibe. And it's it's super like it's busy. It works, but it's also really crude. You can see just like strips of duct tape and like clay and plasticine and rope and there is the one guy it appears like he's getting ran over by the green car and stuff. Um of course there's a liquor store. Yep. It's cool. It's definitely uh it's definitely, you know, Dookie Town.
1: Yep. I think what Terry was talking about with one of Kirk's paintings kind of superimposed with a projector that would be that that dude on the front cover there. Yeah, you can kind of see a drawing of him on the insert as well.
0: Mhm. Yeah, there's that de- in addition to just all of the cardboard cutouts in the cities on the front cover, there are those two like pieces of artwork. There's the dude there's the dude and then in the background it looks like almost on a billboard, hey?
1: Mm hmm. I think that guy's name is Curly. Oh? Do you have the insert, Ryan? Did you get an insert with this one?
0: I do, yeah. yeah. Is his name on there? I missed it. Oh yeah, yeah, there you go. Cur. It almost looks like curldy. Maybe. If you want marshmallows for that cocoa, you're gonna have to run down to Kenny's.
1: Yeah. Love the little doodles and stuff on this. Mm-hmm. You can just tell these are like full sheets of paper kind of laid out. The lyrics are just like one long thing. It doesn't really have song titles or anything.
0: Yeah. No dead wax, though, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, that's too bad. Are we uh, ready for the ballot result, though, Ryan?
0: I think so. Ballot result. There's some good ones on here for sure. I'm not sure that I would put like by love or or even Darktown on. Not that they're bad songs, but I, th- I think they work best in the context of the album. So there's some other ones that I would pluck out, like, you know, Yoke of the Dumbwish, King of Zebra Pants, Ice Iceland Queen. I like all those. And, yeah. S- and Skelter is just like a real showpiece on the record.
1: Yeah, my favorites were Yoke, She Rose, Heck House, King of Zebra Pants, and Skeltor.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it Skeltor or Skelter? Skeltor. It's Skel- it's skeltor. Skeltor. Yeah, I think it is Skeltor. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. I've been mispronouncing it. Yeah, otherwise it would be like Helter Skelter. No, it's Hel it's skeltor
1: Yeah. Let's, well go
0: for it. Go for it, man. Which is the one that had the best fret melting for you, maybe?
1: Let's do yoke, man. It's just yeah. such a scorcher right out of the gate.
0: Yeah, good one.
1: Yeah, if you were listening to this on a comp tape and you'd never heard Run Westy Run and you heard that, I think you'd you'd want to hear some more.
0: Yeah, got to check them out.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks to Terry for being on the show, man. And thanks to Daniel for putting me in touch with Terry. Yeah. Ryan, what's next week?
0: Next week, Brant, we're going back to an artist we haven't had on for a long time. It's SST-193, the Always August Geography 12-inch And we've got a special guest.
1: Yeah, Lee West is on the show. Right on. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content.